open up uh, your word to Exodus chapter 19. We'll be starting in verse 9 this morning. And that's Exodus 19, verse 9. We'll be going through verse 18. So if you would uh, read along with me, starting in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments and he said to the people be ready for the third day do not go near a woman on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because of the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled. Great. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, our Father, God, I pray, Lord, as we walk through this portion of scripture, Lord, that we see that you are a God that is so far beyond us, that you are transcendent, Lord, that you are a God that is both holy and great. And God, I pray that we understand that within ourselves, Lord, we are not, that we are sinners, and that there is a great gap between you and us, Lord. God, I pray as we go through this passage that we just see our need for a mediator, Lord, our need for someone to bridge that gap between us and you, Lord, that we can draw near to you, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word and your revelation to us, God, revealing who you are. God, I pray that as we go through this text, Lord, that we see not only our need for Jesus, Lord, but how you have pointed your people from the very beginning to him. So be with us this morning in your son's name. Amen. Of course, we are continuing our sermon series through the book of Exodus. We're still in chapter 19, where God is starting to establish his covenant with his people, the Mosaic covenant, or as we know it, the Old Covenant. I want to start this morning by reading 
Exodus 19, verse 9, one more time. Uh, And I want to do this because it's a pretty amazing statement when you think about it. Let me just read it. Exodus chapter 19, verse 9 says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. God is saying that he's about to appear to his people and he's going to speak with Moses. And he's going to do that, that the people may believe Moses forever. Again, that's a pretty uh, amazing passage or verse right there that shows us Moses had an extremely important role, especially in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Moses was the mediator of the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant. Again, a very important role. Let me just read another passage that I believe highlights the importance of Moses' role as mediator of this covenant. Numbers 12, 6 says this, and he, this is God, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. This is how God interacted with the prophets in the Old Testament. He spoke to them or he had uh, interacted with them in visions and dreams. This is how he interacted with Isaiah, in other words, Ezekiel, Daniel. But listen to what it says in verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. In fact, Exodus 33, 11 says this. Thus, the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses had an extremely important position and role in the Old Testament. And the question I want to answer today in our text this morning is, why was Moses' role as mediator so important? Why was Moses' role as mediator so important? So I have three points of the sermon this morning. They all um, are connected to each other. The first point is this, the transcendence of God. The transcendence of God. And because of the transcendence of God, it leads to our second point, Israel's need to be made holy. Because of Israel's need to be made holy, it leads to our third point, man's need for a mediator. So let me go through that again. The transcendence of God leads to Israel's need to be made holy, which leads to man's need for a mediator. So let's start with the transcendence of God. And I just want to give a definition of what I mean by the transcendence transcendence of God. The transcendence of God means that there is a distance between God and his creatures, his creation, because of his holiness and greatness. To transcend means to go beyond. God's transcendence is his otherness or his separateness from everything that he has made. When people see God as transcendent, they also approach him with wonder and awe and even fear. Exodus 19, we just see a very clear picture of the transcendence of God. Again, look at verse 9. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. In a 
really thick cloud. God, throughout Scripture, often appears surrounded by a thick, dark cloud or smoke. Let me just give you a few examples, and we've already seen this in Exodus. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 says this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. In Psalm 97, verse 2, it says this, Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. In Psalm 104, verse 3, it says this, He lays the beams of his chariot on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. There's many more examples of this. I, I really believe that the clouds that surround God in these appearances or descriptions of God point to his transcendency, his transcendent nature. They suggest that he is a heavenly being, that he has a heavenly majesty. It's a picture of his glory, right? A glory that transcends creation. In other words, God is from heaven, not from earth. Therefore, he's often surrounded by the clouds of heaven. Daniel 7.13 says this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. We even see this in the New Testament in Matthew 17, verse 5. This is the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is showing his glory to three of his disciples. And this is what it says. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In fact, Peter calls this cloud in 2 Peter 1.17, reflecting back on the Mount of Transfiguration, he calls this cloud the majestic glory. He says a voice came from majestic glory. In Revelation 1 verse 7, it says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Clouds that surround God are really just a testimony of God's transcendence. He is not from earth, he is from heaven. There is another reason for the clouds and smoke that surround God, and this other reason also points to God's transcendence, right? that God transcends his creation. The clouds are there really, and the smoke that we see around God are, are there really to protect God's people. From the full presence of God. In other words, the clouds or the smoke that surround God often act like a veil, veiling God's holiness. Listen to what God says in Exodus 33 20. He says this You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. God's holiness, in other words, right, who he is within himself, his transcendency, his transcendent nature his holiness consumes and destroys and is wrathful towards evil and sin and according to scripture which is very clear man is born with a sin nature therefore there's a major dilemma that we see throughout the whole old testament how can a holy god dwell in the midst of a sinful people 
how can he dwell within the middle of Israel as sinful people and not consume them? Turn with me to Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. We looked at this passage two weeks ago. We looked at this passage and saw how God's holiness really exposed man's sinfulness, right? At the end of this vision that Isaiah has with God, his first words are, woe is me. I'm a sinner, woe is me. But there's something I didn't point out about this passage. In fact, there's a lot of things I didn't point out about this passage. It's an amazing passage in Scripture. But there's something that is really interesting that I think most people miss when they read through this passage or preach through this passage. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I just want to stop right there because that's an amazing statement, right? I saw the Lord. One of the reasons that's an amazing statement is because of Exodus 33, verse 20, what I just read, that man shall not see me. In other words, man shall not see God and live. How could Isaiah see the Lord and then live to write about him? Well, I want you to pay attention to how Isaiah describes God in this vision. And I want you to notice that he doesn't describe God. In fact, there's not a clear description of God at all in this passage. He's too glorious. He's too bright. He's too transcendent. No words could describe this God that Isaiah had a vision of. He's too holy. Isaiah can't even look at him. Instead, in this whole passage here, Isaiah describes the things around him. Let me just walk through it again. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. The first thing he describes is a throne, what, what is underneath God. The throne, and he describes it. He says his throne is high and lifted up. And the train of his robe. Now he's describing what's on God, the clothes of God, and even his clothes, his robe is, is glorious. It filled the temple. And then verse 2, he says this, above him. Now he's describing what's above him. He's described what's beneath him, what's on him. Now he's describing what's above him. He says, above him stood the seraphim, which are angels. And then listen to this. Listen how descriptive he gets about the angels. He says this, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Again, Isaiah is describing everything around God, but there is no description of God. Verse 4 says this, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. Now listen to this. And the house was filled with smoke. Why smoke? Well, the smoke protected Isaiah. The smoke veiled God's presence. In other words, Isaiah saw the Lord, but the Lord was veiled in smoke. Isaiah wasn't exposed to the full presence of God. He didn't see God's face clearly. Otherwise, he would have been consumed by the holiness of God. 
Because as we learn, right, in verse 5, Isaiah is a sinful man. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am unclean. I am a sinner. The smoke, in other words, again, protected Isaiah because it veiled God's holiness. And I believe this is exactly what's happening in Exodus chapter 19. Verse 9 again says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. Now turn back to, to Exodus 19, verse 16. Right, This thick cloud, I believe, is veiling God's presence to protect Israel. Look what it says in verse 16. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 says this. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Just like Isaiah 6, the smoke protected Israel. It protected Israel. It veiled God's full presence. Listen, when you read Exodus chapter 19, it's terrifying. Right? It's terrifying. The description of God's presence as he comes on the mountain, it's like a description of a volcano erupting. It's terrifying. Right? There's lightning, there's fire, there's a trumpet blast that grows louder and louder. The whole mountain, it says, is trembling greatly. In fact, it says all the Israelites trembled in fear. God's transcendent nature, his otherness, his holiness is terrifying. Therefore, the smoke acted like a curtain or veil to protect the people, lest they see God's face and die. Again, this brings up a major dilemma. A major dilemma we see throughout all of the Old Testament that we see very clearly in the Pentateuch, but it continues and continues throughout the whole Old Testament, how can a holy God dwell in the midst of, of a sinful people? How can God live in the middle of Israel and not consume them? The major theme, again, is the rest of Exodus, and that theme doesn't get solved in Exodus. It continues in Leviticus. And we see that keep going as we get to Numbers and see Israel fail and fail and fail. It's a major problem, which leads to our next point. Right? You have the transcendence of God, which leads to the next point. Israel needs to be made holy. Israel needs to be made holy. For God's people to have a relationship with God, they need to be made holy. To be in his holy presence, God's people need to be holy. Look at verse 9 again. It says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud 
that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. Let me just stop right there. The Hebrew word that's translated consecrate, it means to remove from common use or to set apart, or maybe the best understanding is to make holy. God was telling Moses to go to the Israelites and get them ready for his arrival and to consecrate them, to to get the people ready by making them holy. Again, look at verse 10. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. In other words, Moses, you have two days to do this, to get ready for my arrival. I'll arrive on the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. That's verse 11. So Moses had to get the people ready. And God gave Moses, at least in this passage, three ways. And maybe there's other ways that Moses was supposed to get the people ready. But there's three ways written down in our passage this morning. The first one was this, to wash their garments, to wash their clothes. Second, they were to set boundaries around the mountain, Mount Sinai, and not cross them. And third, Moses was to have the Israelites refrain from any sexual relations. So let's just look at these three things. The first one was to wash their garments. Verse 10, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Now, this was a sign of sanctification. Israel needed to be sanctified. They needed to be made holy, in other words. They needed to be Washed because they are unclean, they are sinners. In the Bible, clothing often served as an outward symbol of someone's true spiritual condition. That's why we often see in Scripture individuals tearing their clothes. When they are anguished or sorrowful, they're tearing their clothes as an outward symbol of what's going on internally. Therefore, the washing of Israel's clothes indicated Israel's need, inward need, for cleansing from sin. Before they come to God, or God coming to them, it was very important because God is holy. Let me just stop right here for a second and make a kind of a side note. I'm not exactly sure how they washed their clothes. We don't get the details, but the assumption is that they used water. Think about that for a second. Where are they? Wilderness, the desert. There's well over a million Israelites camping in the desert at the, by Mount Sinai. Water was a big deal. In fact, in chapter 15, they went three days without water, and they cried out to Moses, so Moses cried out to the Lord. In chapter 17, they almost stoned Moses to death because they were out of water. Now God is telling Israel to use water to wash clothes, wash their garments. But this showed the importance of the symbolism. God was telling Israel to take their most important resource, water, and use it in a symbolic way to wash their garments to symbolize their need to be made clean. If God was going to be in their presence, their sin needed to be dealt with. 
completes. So the next way Israel was to prepare for God's coming, they were to set boundaries around the mountain and not dare to cross them. Look at verse 11, it says this, And be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Now listen to this. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death, and no hand shall touch him. In other words, don't even touch the man who touches the mountain. No, no even secondary touches. Right? Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he, he shall be stoned or shot. Now, as a side note, I know a few of you, as I read through this passage earlier, were probably wondering, did they have guns back then? Shot with arrows, not with a gun. Why stoning or shooting? Because those are two ways of killing someone, capital punishment, without touching them. Don't even touch the man that touches the mountain. Put him to death in two ways that you wouldn't touch them. This is showing how serious God is, is about them not crossing the boundaries. How serious uh, he is about them not coming too close to him. Right? It was the death penalty for touching the mountain and don't even touch the person that touches the mountain. Again, verse 13. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. Right? This brings us to the last preparation for the people, they are to refrain from sexual relations. Verse 15 says this, And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. In other words, that's just a way of saying don't have sex uh, in these three days. The NIV really kind of captures the meaning, meaning better. It says abstain from sexual relations. Now, I just want to be clear, because I think in our culture, we're so obsessed with sex that this easily gets misunderstood. They were to abstain from sexual relations, not because there's something wrong with sex. Within marriage, sex is a gift from God. It's not dirty somehow. They are to refrain from sex as a form of fasting. In other words, the whole, their whole attention and focus in these three days as they're getting ready for God to come, and when God does come, is to be dedicated to the Lord. And he descended on the mountain. In fact, I think John Calvin in his commentary captures this well. So let me just read it. He says, although there is nothing polluting or corrupting in the marriage bed, yet the Israelites were to be reminded that all earthly cares were as much as possible to be renounced and all carnal affections to be put away that they might give their entire attention to the hearing So this was three ways that God commanded Moses to get Israel prepared. Right? They were to wash their garments. Moses was to wash their garments, to set boundaries around the mountain and don't dare to cross them. 
to refrain from sexual relations. You know, this really tells us something. It tells us something about God, and it tells us something about man. For man to have a relationship with God, he has to be made clean. The washing of the garment symbolizes this. He, he needs to be holy. He needs to be consecrated. He needs to be set apart. He needs to be righteous and pure. But here's the problem. We aren't. We're sinners. We are born unclean. And that's why in the Old Testament, there was always a separation between God and man. And the separation is very apparent in chapter 19. Right? God made Moses put up boundaries around the mountain so that people would not get too close. There needed to be a distance between a holy God and a sinful people. It's also why God came in a thick cloud, because the cloud veiled God's glory and holiness so that God's holiness couldn't or wouldn't consume Israel. And finally, this is why God communicated with Israel through a mediator. Moses. This is why Moses' role was so important. This leads to the last point this morning. Man's need for a mediator. Moses was a mediator. He was a go-between. Because God, who is holy, and Israel, who is sinful, needs a mediator. Because there's a distance between them. This is clearly seen through throughout chapter 19 of Exodus. And I really believe this is the main point that is trying to get across in the second half of Exodus. And that's because there's two Hebrew words that are used over and over and over again in this passage. And those two words are ascend and descend. Moses would ascend the mountain and descend the mountain, back and forth between God and the people. Let me just give you some examples. Look at verse 3. It says this, While Moses went up, he ascended the mountain. He went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain. Then verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders. Well, if he's coming from God, he came down and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. In verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Moses is a mediator. He's going back and forth between God and the people. Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people. Verse 14, so Moses went down. He descended the mountain to the people. And this just keeps going in chapter 19. Moses was a mediator. Again, back and forth, a go-between. And this was because there is a massive separation between a holy God, Yahweh, and a sinful people, Israel. Therefore, Moses bridged that gap. He bridged that gap as a mediator, as a go-between. And this is why Moses' role was so important. For Israel, the sinful people, there was only one way to God. And that was through Moses. Extremely important role there's still a problem. Who is Moses? He's a man. If 
fact, he's a sinful man. No sinful man can truly bridge the gap between God and mankind. In fact, Exodus ends that way. If you go to the very last paragraph of Exodus in chapter 40, God's glory, the cloud, enters into tabernacle, and guess who can't go in? Moses. There's a dilemma. Therefore, Moses' role as mediator really only had one main purpose. And that's to point us to Jesus. It was to point us forward to Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to read Numbers 12, 6 through 8 one more time. Numbers 12, 6 through 8 says this, verse 6, And he, God, and God said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. In other words, there's various ways God speaks or reveals himself to to the prophets through visions and dreams. Verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. That's his household. That means Israel, right? His people. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. In fact, in Exodus, we just read, he says, I speak to him face to face as a friend. But listen to Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, that's the Old Testament, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He says, in many times, in many ways, in other words, through visions and dreams. This is Numbers 12. God spoke through the prophet in various ways. But, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the truer and better Moses. Moses was a servant. God said, my faithful servant, Moses. Moses was a friend of God even. But Jesus is the son of God. That's what Hebrews 1 is telling us. Look at verse 2 again. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Let me stop there. That means the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Because Jesus is greater than Moses. Let me read it again. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom, well, who's his son? Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, you better pay attention to what he says. That goes way beyond Moses. Jesus is the truer and better Moses. In the Old Covenant, God spoke to Israel by Moses. In the New Covenant, God has spoken to us by his Son. This keeps going. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Let me just stop there. Hebrews is a book of an author. We don't know who the author is. Of an author inspired by God writing to Jews, Israelites. Listen to what he says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus 
the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Again, Numbers 12. Right, That's Israel. He was faithful in God's house. Verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. In other words, Jesus is divine. Verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. God said, my faithful servant Moses. To testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. Again, he, he's, his ministry and life just pointed forward. But look at verse 6. But Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. Listen, for how close Moses was with God, Jesus is the son of God. Equal to God in value and worth. And not only that, Jesus is the perfect mediator. 100% God. God's very own son. And 100% man. Human. No one can better mediate between God and man than someone who is both God and man. Our mediator was one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He was truly human, yet without sin, completely holy, righteous, and pure. In Exodus 19, God told Moses to consecrate the people. In other words, make them holy by washing their garments with water. But you know what? That only cleansed the outside. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus consecrates us. He makes us holy by washing away our sins with his very own blood. But you want to talk about precious. Peter says it's more precious than gold and silver. In fact, 1 John 1, 7 says this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus is the true and better Moses. He's the true and better mediator. Therefore, the new covenant is the truer and better covenant. In fact, turn to Hebrews 8, verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6 says this. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. That's the old covenant. As the covenant, right, this is the new covenant. As the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. I just think about it for a second. Moses descended from the mountain. He descended from the mountain of God to bring the word of God. 
He descended the mountain of God to bring the word of God, to consecrate, to make the people holy, to mediate the Mosaic covenant. But Jesus descended from heaven. And how many times in the gospel did he say, I am from heaven? He descended from heaven to bring the word of God, which is his own words. I don't know how many times he says, I know it was written this way, but I say his own authority. To consecrate or make holy the people of God, and not just the outside, not just clothes, but to mediate a new covenant, a better covenant. With Moses, our mediator, in the old covenant, there still needed to be boundaries around God couldn't even touch the mountain. couldn't even touch the person that touched the mountain. With Moses as our mediator, God still had to veil himself with smoke or cloud. But with Jesus as our mediator, there is no boundaries with God. In fact, we are encouraged to call God our Father. Listen, if there's one thing Exodus 19 teaches us, it's that. There's a separation between God and man. You should remember the smoke. It acted like a veil. And it surrounded Mount Sinai when God's presence came. It veiled God's glory and holiness. Think of the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Covenant. Right? A massive curtain or veil that separated the holy of holies from mankind. It separated God, his presence, from mankind. But what happened when Jesus died on the cross? just a testimony that because of Jesus' life and death, because he's washed away our sins, because of the grace of God that we have through faith, we now have access to God. That's why the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. Let me end with this. If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. 14 through 16. I just going to end by reading this passage, which would have been absolutely shocking. This passage would be absolutely shocking to, to anyone that was there on that terrifying day at Mount Sinai when God's presence descended on the mountain where, where the people trembled greatly and the, the mountain itself trembled greatly. This, this passage would just be shocking. It says this, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest. And let me just say, a great mediator. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, meaning he's fully divine, fully God. Let us hold fast to our confessions, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. In other words, he's fully human but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, meaning pure, holy, and righteous. And because we have such a great mediator, look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help, to help in our time 
In other words, because of Christ, our greater Moses, that through faith, this is amazing, we can confidently draw near to the throne of God, which in this passage is renamed the throne of grace because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Lord, God, Father, it is amazing that we can call you Father. That we are encouraged to cry out to you, Abba, Father, in our time of need, that we are encouraged to confidently, which we should have no confidence to approach your throne. Yet because of Christ, our great mediator, our great high priest, we can confidently come to you. That one day in the new heavens and new earth, you will have your dwelling place with man and there will be no separation. justification, sanctification, and eventually glorification because of the work of Christ in our lives. God, I pray as we read these Old Testament passages, Lord, that we see your Son everywhere. That we see the need for a mediator to bridge the gap because we are sinners and you are holy. And you sent a mediator very own son to not only communicate with us to live a perfect life as a man to die on the cross for our sins and you raised him on the third day and he's seated at the rightful place the right hand of you which testifies that it is finished that our sins have been paid for and that we have received for those that have put faith in your son righteousness that he earned. Lord, I pray for anyone that hasn't put their faith in you or that they would understand this message, this good news, and that you would grant them faith, Lord. I pray for 